Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your anchoring host, Rio Veridineer, and today we have one of our recurring co-hosts, Tom Leung of Nerds for Yang fame. But per usual, first I'm going to read a five-star review of us from one of you fans out there. This is from an account that calls itself Republican Awesomeness. This podcast is the second best experiment in the history of the world. The first best experiment is the United States. This podcast is not left, not right, forward. Andrew Yang 2020 campaign slogan. This podcast is a breath of fresh air from partisanship. You include all logical ideologies. Your podcast is something America needs to learn that constructive debates can happen. It teaches Americans that you can be great friends and disagree politically. I was a Trump supporter in the 2016 election. I saw the horrific things that he did to our country and became a big critic of him. I might have partially led to his victory in 2016. I have made up for this and have made sure that I help in his landslide and ultimate defeat and demise of Trump. I can't wait for Yang 2024. Oh, thanks, Republican awesomeness. I can't wait for Yang 2024, too. All right. And moving on to our conversation with Tom. Hello, nerds. So tell me a little bit about how have you been? Like last time you were on and we were chatting together, it was before the election, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's your... Yeah, what's it was your... a little while ago. Yeah, what's your take, man? Like, oh, it feels Lord. like the world has changed quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I, Corey actually came back on moving forward to do an episode called "We Were Right." Oh, because we were right. Yeah, um, all of the things that we predicted would happen at, during this election actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump trying to throw out the votes, prematurely declaring victory. Uh, trying to get the votes thrown out in court, trying to get Congress to throw out the votes. And we even predicted in advance that there would be violence, not necessarily on that day, but mm. that Trump's um, would be inciting stochastic terrorism. Although I borrowed that from uh, the Lincoln Project's Reed Galen, who was talking about the Trump insurgency. So mm-hmm. Reed turned out to be right, too. Yeah, that's some crazy, crazy action. You know, what's funny is my brother... Um, he actually, he bet me a hundred bucks that, uh, that Trump would, would be inaugurated even after this bet was, uh, placed in mid November. And I was like, I'll take your money. But I think he was waiting for what you should have given the poor guy a hundred to one odds. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I did give him 40 to one. I gave him 40 to one. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's good. Yeah, he, 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 bet, he bet on that wrong horse there. And he was like, oh, I was expecting something to happen on Inauguration Day <clears throat> where Trump was going to come back. And that Trump had, in his farewell speech in the morning, he had 17 flags behind him, which was a... The set, which Q is the 17th letter of the alphabet. I know that's a full grown man. <laughs> right. So what, let's talk about that. That's that's an interesting first topic. Mm-hmm. Um, how did Trump manage to get millions of Americans, not all of whom are crazy, um, to believe this craziness? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think I think part of it is my brother is very uncomfortable with how much the country has changed uh, Mm -hmm. since when he was growing up in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And he feels like 
uh, he he was living in Florida and he was like very upset. He was very proud that he has not learned a word of Spanish. And he's he's very upset about the changing demographics. He, I think it's. I'm very to... proud of my shitty college Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I I was at uh, I was picking up some food yesterday from uh, Popeyes, and there was a Asian American uh, woman behind the counter speaking in fluent Spanish to her colleagues. And I said to my son, I was like, dude. Like that's some skills. Like she speaks fluent English, yeah. fluent Spanish, and I'm probably I would not be surprised if she knows a little bit of Mandarin. And yeah, no, and you know. um, but actually, my my parents on both sides, their grandparents mm -hmm. immigrated from Germany, so it's several generations removed, and we didn't we don't speak German because um, on both sides they mm -hmm. decided that they were going to right. learn English. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They went all in. They didn't speak German to their kids. And so now, unfortunately, I think that was a mistake. My family has lost an important part of their heritage, you know, at least on the, the U.S. side. <laughs> I totally, totally hear you. I mean, when I was growing up, my school told my parents, hey, don't speak any Chinese at home. Uh, it's important that that, you know, little Tom assimilates. And now, mm -hmm. like, sadly, Certainly, my English is stronger than my my Chinese, but even my German is better than my Chinese because I lived in Zurich for so many years now, so I picked up a little bit of German. Um, but right, because yeah. you've been living overseas. Yeah, I was I was living on the mm -hmm. eastern part of Switzerland. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, but back to my brother, I think he really longs for the days where everybody had to follow the American culture and the American way. And mm -hmm. in his eyes, when new influences come in, like more Spanish or even more, he's even has mixed feelings about Asian immigration <laughs> and he's mm -hmm. genetically a hundred percent Asian. So um, mm -hmm. it's just a strange, so I think he's so uncomfortable with this change that mm -hmm. he was able to channel that anxiety into this very neat story of a conspiracy mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is sort of trying to encourage uh, what he calls open borders and uh, he, you know, radical Islamic terrorism. He's very concerned about Sharia law being implemented in the U.S. And he's just a little bit, you know, I think it all comes down to a discomfort with the change around us. And in, in fairness, I think it's very natural. Like nobody like naturally loves uh, change that you didn't plan, but it's also kind of a reality of life, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and the times are changing as demonstrated by the fact that my wife and I are uh, planning to have a kid in the next couple of years. And we're already talking about making sure to hire a Spanish speaking nanny. Um, and my wife, ironically, who is not German on any side of anything, um, it does speak German fluently because she uh, went to uh, school in Germany as a child. <laughs> <laughs> so we're hoping our kid will be trilingual. Um, but, you know, this is actually one of the things that Andrew Yang was writing about in his book, right? The War on Normal People. There's this distancing, this growing distancing between 
fancy pants elites like ourselves and who have the values we have, rather we're on the right or the left. I mean, you and I are actually both right of center. I'm yeah. pretty sure at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, whether you're on the right or the left, a lot of people have very different set of values because, uh, you know, they're, they, they, maybe they, I don't think this applies to your brother, but maybe it does. I don't know. You can tell me, but you know, like the way I can tell is like, basically it's three things. Um, did you go to college? Um, do you travel? Uh, and did you li- have you ever, you know, lived in an urban area? So if you've done any of those three things, you have a more cosmopolitan view of the world, right? And you're more comfortable with people being different from you, right? And I, politically speaking, um, I'm actually very sympathetic to a lot of the things your brother brought up, but I think that some people feel extra threatened by that. Um, and I think your brother's actually an interesting case study, though, because being related to you, I'm assuming he's more like you than the person I just described. So what do you think is going on there? Yeah, because he he has lived uh, in many urban environments and he mm-hmm. is college educated. Um, I think I think for him, there's a two two drivers one is he really admires the culture and uh, the culture of the 80s America, where, okay. you know, Ronald Reagan was uh, talking about a city upon a hill. And, you know, he grew up watching like Red Dawn and Alex P. Keaton and Wall Street and all these great sort of heroic kind of superior figures in a, in a way and it's very uncomfortable he doesn't he doesn't really understand what's going on because the world today and america today looks so different to him and he even has remarked to me how like oh i don't get it like tom you you used to be a republican and now you uh you're you're basically you know supporting all of these Democrats and and whenever I try to explain to him that bro the Republican Party as you and I knew it does not exist anymore and the people that call themselves Republicans would probably like put Ronald Reagan's head on a spike right now <laughs> um, so I think it's it's just sort of this cognitive dissonance and I think it is punctuated by a very great discomfort around originally Islamic radical Islamic terrorism. And then uh, the last couple of years, he was convinced that Antifa was just and BLM were joining forces to just destroy the country. And ultimately, I think a lot of this stems from where he gets his information because he does not. Mm-hmm. He does not read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or The Economist. He gets his mm-hmm. information from like I know because he sends me links to articles that he, he, he thinks I should read. And I just look at the domain and I'm like, oh, Breitbart, Newsmax, OAN, um, and then these like very strange forums. And I don't even... Like, I almost feel like I should open them up in incognito mode because I'm like, what is this strange place that he's going where they're t- where they talk about all of these 
supposed connecting of dots around mm-hmm. the Q stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so so I think it's discomfort plus where he gets his info. I mean, he even yeah. talks about that, like anti-vax, not anti-vax, but COVID denial. And he's like, hey, you know, I heard people are saying and it's like anytime he says people are saying I'm like, no, not people are saying the crazy people you read are saying this. Right, but he thinks that you and I are wrong to trust the evil yes. establishment media, right? Exactly now, by the right, way, yeah. the Wall Street Journal, right? Not that's not that's not some liberal rag historically, right? That's no. the right wing newspaper, and yeah. and they called for Trump to resign, right? Indeed, um, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal called for Trump to resign, right? And then. No less than the National Review turned on Trump after that insurrection. I mean, what what do they what do they want? I, I, I think it's populism. I think you're yes. right. I think it's yeah. populism. That's what it is. It's it's a lack of faith in our institutions. Um, and ironically, they think of it as patriotism, but really they're giving up on free speech and the free press, right? Because Trump was attacking the press. Yeah, they think they think their free speech is under threat because, you know, a private company like Twitter won't let them spread misinformation on their platform. Right. But uh, my one of my favorite lines there is you don't have a problem with censorship. Then you have a problem with capitalism. Whenever we've talked about this has been that the the places like Wall Street Journal and The Economist and National Review, he feels that um, they have been taken over by some kind of globalist conspiracy some some uh-huh. and that they're not really pro american and the heads of these big corporations they all came from these fancy universities and that's just not fair because these universities are generally led by you know very liberal people and so he just feels like there's this whole system that is in control that is is against you know, his political beliefs. And mm. what I've told him is like, look, man, like there's lots of universities out there and there are conservative ones and there are very religious ones, if that's your thing. And if they can code well and they can teach computer science well, they will for sure birth a lot of startups. Like, and, you know, you have great schools like BYU that are, you know, generally not liberal bastions, but they produce fantastic mm. graduates. So you can't, I mean, if you are for a free market, you can't say, well, I don't like Goldman anymore because there's too many Harvard grads there. It's like, well, then just don't do your business with Goldman. I don't know. Well, yeah, something else that I found that works, Tom, is pointing out that the the lack of faith in reputable journalism and schools and um, our financial system and our democratic process that the alt-right populists have, right? That is also true with far left communist, socialist, Bernie Bolshevik type populists as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so that says something to me. Right. And another another thing I've been pointing out is that if it was really right wing, you wouldn't need to put the word alternative in front of it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would just be right wing. Um, it, it says something that the alt right and the far left both have a protectionist trade policy, which until recently has only been a thing on the hard left. 
um, because it's opposed to free trade, right? It's mm. literally left of Joe Biden on trade policy, right? Um, they're both isolationist, um, which again is also usually a left-wing thing. Oh, America is you know in, in, too involved in these neoconservative, you know, foreign wars. We need to bring our troops home and keep paying them, even though there's nothing for them to do, etc. Um, all of that is very lefty. You know, yeah. and it le so on trade and foreign policy, the alt-right is more like Bernie Sanders than it is like Ronald Reagan. Yeah, it, and it's interesting. I wonder how the GOP will evolve. White House, he still has, he's probably the most influential person technically in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are in terms of a Romney-esque Republican Party or, um, you know, like a McCain-Flake type center-right Republican Party? Or do you think this thing is just going to be Trump's party and then all of the kind of traditional Republicans, like I can think you and me may have been bucketed into in the past, like mm -hmm. what what place do we have in the GOP? Yeah, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one thing that could happen is all of the never Trump conservatives and the right wing Democrats, right, become the new establishment of the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party actually move, moves even further right than it did under the, uh, the third way after the fall of the Soviet Union mm -hmm. and basically replaces the Republican Party. That's one possibility. And I would be fine with that because at least we'd still have a right-wing party. And then the question is, do all the Bernie Bolsheviks go join the GOP? Do you think, Rio, that we would ever benefit from having four parties? Like where where you, you've got kind of the, the MAGA people in their party, you've got the Romney people in another, and then you have these like centrists, like maybe you and I might be, and then you've got the Bernie people. Like maybe actually like... You wonder if that might actually be better for the country to the extent that we could kind of just um, be forced to compromise a little more and get out of this two-party approach. I don't know. I mean, it seems like if ever there was a time where the GOP could split and the Democratic Party could split, like, it might be now. I don't know. Like, do you think that would be a good thing? In parliamentary systems, they still end up becoming two big coalitions anyway, right? Uh, I guess it's a little more dynamic because voters can vote what they actually want to vote for and their representatives actually represent what they want them to represent, even if they then have to broker deals in these two coalitions. Yeah, I guess that would be kind of an improvement. We're not going to get a parliamentary system. Andrew Yang proposed some reforms that might help us get there, right? Uh, like ranked choice voting, for example. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, what, <laughs> someday. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the Biden presidency so far? How, how do you think he's doing? I was trying to talk to my wife about that recently, and she said, I don't I'm not ready to hear any any constructive criticism of the Biden presidency. <laughs> I'm still just just enjoying the peace, you know, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. comes after the storm. You know, I, yeah, I, like I, I think Tony Blinken was a great neoconservative choice for Secretary of State. I, I'm happy to see us return to the consensus on U.S. foreign policy that we've had since World War II. That's a good thing. 
He has a long history of being bipartisan and is very well respected across the aisle. There are fewer and fewer people like that, right? Mm-hmm. He does not vilify people who just happen to disagree with him on policy. He's a good man. He has it in him to bring this, bring this country together and put an end to this cold civil war. I think Trump historically will be seen as a, a failure of a presidency. I mean, he lost the House, which is fairly common. He lost them the Senate, and I think Mitch McConnell knows that Trump is the reason mm-hmm. they lost the Senate this time. Because he basically told his own voters not to bother to vote. Um, right? And, and he wasn't reelected. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big failure as far as the presidency is concerned. Um, his one big uh, legislative achievement wasn't really his. It was just something that, that the Republicans in Congress did with the support of conservative Democrats. And that was the the tax reform bill, right? So yeah, no, I think Trump was a failure. Um, And Trump's mistake here was that he was pandering to the base at the expense of independents, right? And moderate people in his own party. The GOP um, has shrunk under his leadership. I don't think Biden should repeat that mistake. They are gonna vote for you, right? So take those people for granted. Do not alienate people like you and me do not ratchet up a culture war pandering to the crazy far lefties. Well, you know, there's going to be a very interesting flashpoint, I suspect, for Biden um, if the uh, purported caravan of migrants from uh, <laughs> wherever, is it Honduras or somewhere, that will make it to, uh, to the southern border because in my mind, we have to be a nation of laws. So mm-hmm. we have to be very careful about uh, enforcing the immigration laws we have on the book in a very humane and respectful way. But I suspect parts of the Democratic Party will be very keen on taking a much more generous approach. And I worry like, okay, well, what kind of signal does that send? Because we cannot support unlimited immigration Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you what do you think he should do? Uh, he can't take a Trump approach and purposely like separate children and be kind of inhumane, but mm-hmm. he can't just take a you know welcome all approach. Uh, you know, no questions asked either. Well, I mean, he's signaled that he's going to take the George W. Bush approach to immigration, mm-hmm. which is to say we need comprehensive immigration reform, but we also at the same time. And this is where some criticism of Biden's approach maybe is appropriate. I think that he needs to say more about, like like you said, enforcing the laws against illegal immigration. Because if you have a pathway to citizenship, that is going to motivate more people to try to immigrate illegally, Mm -hmm. right? So you need to do that, but simultaneously make it close to impossible for people to immigrate illegally, right? I mean, um, honestly, I think Andrew Yang had 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 great immigration policy. I mean, he was pushing for a and still is pushing for a universal basic income, which if you want to talk about an incentive to try to get to the United States, that's a big one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he simply said, well, we'll write it into the freedom dividend bill that, you know, you have to be a citizen for what, 20 years, something like that, Mm -hmm. before you can actually collect your UBI. Well, that's a really good idea. That's the equivalent to if you had been born in the country, you waited until you become an adult to collect it, right? So if you become a citizen as an adult, you should wait the same period of time before you can start collecting your UBI. There are ways of addressing this problem 
that kind of tamp down the um the xenophobia right mm-hmm. um while at the same time uh you know creating a more sustainable future for this country you know i mean the people who just don't want brown spanish speaking people here those people are bigots and we should ignore them um but people who are concerned about as you said us being a nation of laws i think they're completely right to be so yes i think biden needs to do comprehensive immigration reform that includes strictly enforcing our laws against illegal immigration yeah oh and by the way the the left the far left called obama the deporter in chief while he was in office mm-hmm. because democrats historically actually do do that you know if people paid attention to the news um the the real news they would know that yeah this will be it'll be interesting to see how biden handles this because i think if if he takes two uh two sort of if he's not, if he doesn't try and balance between uh, enforcement of the law and being a very humane and pro-immigration administration, it will. I think it will only piss off that uh, that MAGA group even further because then they're going to say, "You see, he is for open borders. And all of our all of our fears have come true," kind of thing. On the other mm-hmm. hand, he, he does have a very a vocal um, kind of left wing of the Democratic mm-hmm. Party that, that, you know, is saying, hey, you know, universal health care for anyone, uh, regardless of immigration status. Yeah, I mean, there's actually some tensions on the left there. Believe it or not, there is a long history of being anti-immigration on the political left in the mm-hmm. U.S. and everywhere. There's a kind of nationalist communism or national socialism that um that definitely is a a, an ideological trend out there right so you can find people on the left who will say they oppose immigration for the same reason really or one of the one of the reasons that a lot of trumpkins oppose immigration right which is that Mm -hmm. they don't want working class americans to have to compete with cheap foreign labor right it's the same reason that the left opposes free trade right and you know, um, exporting jobs. Um, And and Bernie Sanders um, actually kind of got this right when he was asked about open borders. And he said, oh, no, I'm not for open borders. I am, you know, like I'm a lefty. Open borders are a right wing Koch brothers proposal. And in a a way, he's right. And, and, And ironically, Donald Trump himself has benefited enormously from the cheap labor that comes from illegal immigration. He's employed thousands of illegal immigrants. I, I hear you. I mean, I, this is something I've always debated with my MAGA brother because he's always screaming about the radical left open uh, borders concerns that he has. And I said, you know, why, why hasn't, why didn't, at, at least at that time, why didn't Trump crack down on employers who were exploiting uh, undocumented labor and you know he never had a good answer for that, but I think we all know that corporate interests that employ a lot of labor uh, currently depend on very low cost labor uh, mm-hmm. to to provide lower prices to consumers, 
That's and, right. And we the cost of goods and services that. would go through the roof. Yeah, no, I, I've tried to explain this to so many lefties and alt righties. <laughs> mm-hmm. So many times it's like, okay, where, where do you buy your goods? You're right. Right. Usually people in those, in those uh, political camps buy their goods at like Walmart, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that was all made in China. Right. Okay. Where do you get your groceries? It's usually not Whole Foods, okay? <laughs> They're usually buying produce that was picked by illegal immigrants in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, I mean, they don't really think this through, do they, right? Like, I, I, I feel like my position is intellectually consistent. I am worried about immigration to the United States only for one reason, and that's because we have a tax and spend nanny state and welfare programs that really would be extremely expensive and could potentially bankrupt us as a country if we just let everybody in and let them start collecting that. But as I said, Andrew Yang has an easy solution to that. Okay, you have to be a citizen for 20 years before you can collect any of that. You know, you only get the social security you actually paid in for after 20 years. There are ways of solving that problem, right? But this um, this concern about the fact that, you know, the the supply of labor would increase. Well, that's a very left-wing concern. And, and they want to have, they want to have it both ways. They want the cheap products, right? Yeah. But they want the pe- but they also want high salaries, right? Well, okay. It, it, this, this reminds me of, of um, the way that the far left and the alt-right are complaining about the media and stuff that we started talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. This is like what, what they're really saying is people like me and who think like me, aren't in positions of power and authority in our society. They aren't Hollywood producers. They aren't editors at major newspapers. They aren't uh, tenured professors at, you know, elite universities. And that's unfair to me. Okay, well, this is a free market of ideas and goods, right? And people like you might actually have more influence. Get with the program. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting in that you know, your point about um, uh, people wanting it both ways. When that same MAGA brother visited me when I was living in um, in Switzerland, he was remarking about, oh, Tom, this place is so expensive. Like, how, how can they charge, uh, you know, 20 bucks for a hamburger? And, you know, why does it cost you so much to have a landscaping company, uh, you know, take care of the, the lawn and stuff? And I was like, well, these are all Swiss citizens and they earn about 40 bucks an hour because that's what they need to have like a living wage. And as a result, like stuff that we buy is not basically subsidized by low cost illegal labor like it is in the U.S. I mean, why do you think? You can go to the supermarket and buy this, these, this produce at these extremely low prices in the U.S. It's not because, you know, it's being done by robots. Maybe someday it will. But it's being done by people like seasonal labor that are probably being paid well below $40 an hour, well below $15 an hour. I have no health insurance, whatever. And then the same moment, you know, he'll... Uh, He'll remark how awesome it is that we can buy a, a big screen TV for like 500 bucks, but then be pissed about trade with China. 
And it's like, where do you think that TV came from, man? That didn't come from RCA. That didn't come from Zenith in upstate New York. So I kind of feel like, look, maybe we need to re, um, reset our expectations about how many things we can buy for a dollar if it means that we can provide for a better living for our neighbors and for the this, this country. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't need to keep buying all this stuff for like 10 bucks. It, I'm okay with that, but you can't have both you can't have it both ways. You can't want Walmart and Costco prices and then be anti trade and anti uh, immigrant labor. Like you, you kind of have to pick. Precisely. I mean, and also frankly, there's nothing stopping people from supporting, you know, made in America products right now, right? Um, you know, like won't. this, uh, because <laughs> they should, they should, <laughs> especially the people who are complaining about, you know, exporting jobs and immigration and so forth. But, you know, I was recently reading this book called the meritocracy trap oh, yes. by, uh, Daniel Markovitz. He, um, he was right on the nerd show. We, I oh, had was an he? opportunity to interview him. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed with that book. Um, you know, one of the big takeaways that I got from that was this this weird hypocrisy where elites in our society, affluent, well-educated, cosmopolitan folks like ourselves, right? We tend to espouse very socially liberal views, classically liberal, not in the sense of being left-wing communists or whatever, right? But we tend to be in favor of different kinds of family structures. Uh, we're very libertarian, um, small government, et cetera, right? Um, but then in our private lives, we actually tend on average to be rather conservative. Um, we're more likely to have a stay-at-home mom. Um, you know, we don't have children out of wedlock, et cetera. And then if you look at the working class in this country, they tend to publicly espouse very conservative views, but their private lives are actually the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. They, you know, like half of their, their first, the, their first child half the time is out of wedlock, right? Um, they very rarely have a, a, uh, a stay-at-home mom. In fact, actually, women um, in that demographic earn more than the men, which must be driving those poor guys crazy, right? <laughs> so in both cases, it's a lot of do as I say, not as I do. Um, and that just makes this culture war even more ridiculous, doesn't it? It's tough. I mean, I think the that trade-off, nobody will get elected by saying, hey, I am America first. Therefore, we all need to pay more for our stuff. And we need to, um, you know, give up a lot of the consumerism that we currently enjoy that is subsidized by uh, low cost products from China and low cost labor from, you know, south of the border. I don't think people will get elected. They would get elected if they say, I'm going to put America first and you're gonna, I'm gonna make America great again. It's gonna be like the 50s and you don't have to make any sacrifices. All we have to do is build a wall and it'll be magic. It'll just be like magic. Yeah, and the wall is a very inefficient way of defending the border. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, we, this is the 21st century. The wall, the Great Wall of China didn't work right for a reason and that was before you could fly over it with airplanes <laughs> not to mention like where who are all those meatpacking facilities and 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 agricultural corporations going to employ i mean it, it requires a big shift 
And uh, that would, if you really wanted Wait, to- Wait, Tom, are you saying Americans don't want to slave away in the sun and kill their bodies so, so that they can't stand up by the time they're 40 um, in exchange for like $5 an hour? I think that is exactly what I'm saying. They don't want to do that. And so we have to pay enough to make that uh, a, a, a smart move. Um, or we need to vat the economy and have a basic income. So people... bingo, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Honestly, I think I think that especially if you have a UBI that's indexed to GDP, yeah. it makes so many of the other traditional left wing interventions in the market totally unnecessary. Yeah. I don't think you would need a minimum wage at all, actually, if you had that. And that would probably be a good thing because more people could get employed and it would stack on top of their UBI. Yeah. Let's do that. I, I hear you, man. I hear you. It's uh, I, I would not be surprised if 10, 20 years from now, people are like, wow, when Andrew Yang ran in 2020, like his solutions would have, you know, were basically like the end game where we needed to end up. And it just took us a long time to get there. Speaking of Yang, we should talk a little bit, Rio, about his run for mayor of uh, of New York City. Like, how are how? What's your take on that? Are you excited about it? Are you disappointed? Ambivalent? I'm I'm very pleased. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, one of the fair criticisms that people had of Yang in the primary was that he didn't have enough experience in government. Right? Mm -hmm. um, being the mayor of New York City would give him a lot of experience. Right. There are more people, more taxpayers in New York City than in a lot of states that have two senators. So that you know, that that's a lot of executive experience there. I I hope he wins and I hope he uses that to get to the White House. Yeah. So uh, do you think he'll pull it off? Have you been following what's been going Actually, on? Actually, I'd like you to catch me up on some of the data there. Um, I'm sure you're the data guy. I want to uh -huh. hear about I want to hear from you about that. I, I think I, from what I've seen and I, I'm sure I haven't looked at the polls as closely as you have. Um, it looks like he has a real shot. I mean, he is well-respected yeah. and liked in New York City. And, and you know, probably more qualified for that than he was for president the first time he ran. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he is the front runner. He's, he's the front runner and he's part of the top tier. So it's very much the opposite of what we saw in Iowa, where, where you know, he was kind of always struggling to break through from tier two to tier one. Secondly, uh, very high name recognition. Uh, I think partly because of the presidential run and a lot because of the CNN job. And I know a lot of people were very angry when he took that job saying that, oh, gosh, again, uh, uh, I, I'm so tired of being right, Tom. <laughs> You and I were both like, God, you guys, this is good. This, this gets is him recognition. This is yeah. what you want, right? I hear you. I hear <laughs> He's you. He's not a sellout. He's playing the game. That's what you have to do to win. Come on. Yeah. So I think his name recognition is very, very strong in New York. And um, he comes in with a obviously a national uh, base of support. Uh, he's going to be able to raise significant amount of money, we hope. Um, there's an asterisk there, I will say, uh, which I'll get to in a second. And um, I think his biggest challenge will be there is some criticism of him. I don't know if it's sticking, but there's criticism of him that, well, he, he went to Georgia to kind of help 
uh, Ossoff and Warnock, and then he was running for president. Like, he isn't like the other folks in the in the in the race who have been in New York City the whole time. And uh, you know, I I look at that. And I'm like, hey, here's a guy who wanted to be helpful to his his community, national or local. And like, are we going to fault him for trying to help Biden get elected? Are we going to fault him for trying to, uh, you know, have have a, a balance of power in the Senate? Like, I would say he he did the right thing. But you know, that's generally the most common theme for people attacking him is that he's not a a real New Yorker. Explain that further to me that just because he's not a real New Yorker, I don't understand the concern there. The concern is, I think the subtext is, hey, he's just he's just in this to check off a box. He's not really committed to this city. And remember how we all felt when de Blasio kind of just like left and started running for president. You know, is he, you know, is he really kind of in it for the city? Does he really understand the city's unique issues or is he more versed in national issues? And then there's probably also a slight sprinkle of maybe subconscious racism there, which is like, is he, because a lot of people say, is he a real New Yorker? He doesn't seem like a real New Yorker. And you wonder like, hmm, what's, what's behind that? I won't go, you know, I won't allow, I won't sort of dwell on that. It is what it is. But I think uh, ultimately, you know, the gamblers have him as the highest probability uh, candidate. He's probably about thirty-five percent chance, and the next guy is like twenty percent or something. So he's—it's kind of his to lose. Um, so I'm—I'm I'm excited. It would be historic, first Asian American mayor of New York City, and also huge pilot, a billion-dollar pilot around basic income. A bunch of other ideas. I don't know if if most of them will work, but I like that he wants to kind of experiment and try new. Yeah, things. no, and and a, a citywide uh, UBI pilot would actually be great. I mean, it'll still be a huge stimulus of of the the New York economy from the bottom up. Um, I has is he proposing paying for it with um, a VAT only within the city limits? Uh, no, he's not proposing of that. He is proposing to raise the money um, through one method is a, a tax on uh, Amazon boxes going into New York City. And then another one is a property tax. And then um, I think a third is there's going to be some private, par- private public, public private partnerships, some philanthropists. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate because uh, I don't like the property tax proposal. The Amazon package proposal is closer to his VAT. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, a good example of a policy that really makes more sense at the federal level. But still, like, talk about some big bottom-up stimulus of the New York economy. And also, you know, those people paying those property taxes are going to get it back because people are going to use it to pay their rents and people are going to yeah. use it to shop at local stores and all of that stuff. I think in the long run, everybody would win if if the economy is sort of um, stimulated and revitalized. And if he can show at scale that basically this giant UBI pilot works, then uh, that could be what we need to kind of think about this, uh, at least in other cities or moreover in a national 
kind of uh, level. I mean, I would love if nationally we just implemented a VAT and then just divided each year's uh, proceeds by the number of American citizens over 18 and just wrote, just sent everybody a check. And it really would be a dividend. It wouldn't be a fixed amount. It would be, hey, when the economy's doing well, like we're all gonna get a little bit. Yeah, I think you probably need to give it like a floor, like a minimum that you'll always reach. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good idea. You know, I think if it's, if it's a percentage of the VAT, then I would imagine even Republicans would get behind it because it's like, hey, th this literally pays for itself. There is, it's deficit neutral. Um, but yeah, at any rate, so he's, he's in a good place. Now, in terms of the fundraising, the interesting thing about Yang is because he's so well known, there is an expectation. I think uh, the next fundraising kind of uh, announcement will be early March, I think March 11th, if I remember. And it'll be important for him to post some big numbers because if he doesn't, people will say, oh, he's just the Twitter candidate. He doesn't have real support, you know, to win kind of thing. And then the second thing that is a risk is that because he is a front runner, a lot of Yang Gang may feel like, oh, well, then I don't need to pitch in because he's got this. And then that becomes sort of- Yeah, this, you guys send yeah. Yang money, even if you don't live in New York. <laughs> if you want to help him get to the White House someday, send him money. Absolutely. That's a no-brainer, like, right? Like, if you gave yeah. for- I mean, max out again. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, you're, it was a long shot when we gave him money for the presidency. Right. This actually has a chance of getting the guy elected. This is as close as we've ever been to getting victory. So you could argue whatever you gave in the presidential, you should give more because like, I mean, mayor of New York City, I think New York City's economy alone would be, if it were a country, it would be number 11. It would be right after Canada. So it's a big ass job. And if he can pull it off and, and help New York, number one, as an American, I feel like New York City's a national treasure. Like it's a it's mm -hmm. a really important city. We we all, even though I'm way on the other side of the country, I want New York to thrive. And so I think that's good uh, for the country. Californians are more likely to fly to New York than we are to go to a lot of the countries in the middle of the states <laughs> in the middle of the country. Well, it's cheap. It's cheap to fly there too, you know? <laughs> yeah, they've got some good food. They've got some shows. It's, uh, it's a cool city. So I think uh, if you care about Yang and you want the country to do better, having him do a great job in New York is absolutely uh, a critical path to getting there. And whether you wanted him to be- That, that is the gamble though, I guess. Yeah. And, he, ha and he, he made that bet. So like, whether you liked it or not, like we have to win. It's, it's almost like he's too big to fail now. We have to get him in there. <laughs> um, so hopefully he pulls it off and, and the rest of us, can get excited about it. But I do sense that some Yang gang are kind of um, disappointed that he didn't want to start a third party and, and run for president in 2024. And if you just like, you know, if you're an odds maker, he has a far better chance of becoming mayor of New York City than president under a, a new party in 2024. Yeah, I imagine wearing a math hat and being that bad at math. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, no. <laughs> that, his chance of succeeding there would be zero. Zero. <laughs> I, mean, I, I In fairness, I think those folks, their hearts are in the right place and they are really frustrated with the two-party system. And I am too. Um, but if this guy could become, well, here, if you want Yang to be the leader of a third party someday, if he were a successful mayor of the country's biggest city, it would actually make it more likely that he could, uh, you know, sort of lead the charge for a third party someday. So in a way, like our interests are aligned, like it's only if you insist that he lead a third party in the next two years, then of course that that would conflict with him being mayor. But, you know, hopefully we can all get behind this guy because he's young, man. And, 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 you know, change takes a while and you, we can't just get someone into the oval, you know, after one Rogan podcast, it's going to take a, it's going to take that. And well, yeah, I mean, look at how, um, you know, populists often um, don't have a very sophisticated understanding of democracy. Right. Um, and, Democracy is hard and slow and, and, you know, like look at Trump supporters expected him to remake our country in four years. Right. All it was going to be totally different place. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he was going to eliminate the national debt uh, in eight years. That was. The yeah. But, you know, I mean, how's the, how's the saying go? Like, uh, any idiot can kick over a barn, but it, it takes a contractor to build one. Mm. Right. It's like, Yang isn't, you know, Trump was elected to be a bull in the China shop of democracy and break things so that we would have to rebuild it. That was the the most coherent argument for voting for Trump that I heard in any case. Yang is being elected to actually fix stuff. Um, and that's harder. That's harder. And if he had become president, um, he probably still wouldn't have been able to do most of the things that he wants to do. You know, like that's just the reality of the, the world that we live in. Um, and I understand that people are impatient, but you know, being impatient, isn't going to fix it. That's just, you know, if anything, it might actually make it worse. If Yang had listened to those people, his political career would be over. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Agree. I mean, if, if you think this guy was smart enough to be president, then you should also trust his judgment on deciding to run for mayor. Like he's no dummy. He's probably thought through the decision tree um, and he probably has access to data that we don't. So, you know, I, I, I just did a co-organized a fundraiser with him yesterday and the guy looks great. He's super energized. He's and and, it, you know, you look at the latest polling numbers, you look at the betting odds, you look at the news coverage like this is ours to lose. So. I hope we can all unify and, and get him the, the win and then support him as he promotes some big moves in New York. I think it'll be beneficial all around. And uh, I'm, I'm a little jealous of New Yorkers. I, I wish, uh, you know, frankly, San Francisco had a, had a mayor like the rest of us in the future. Uh, but, but, but let's, let's, so he has been enjoying, he, he has a degree, a law degree from Columbia University, which is in, New York City, like his wife is from Queens. Like, come on! Like, it's not like yeah, he just moved here from from you know. as you can get. Yeah. yeah, come on. So, all right. Um, well, look. Amusingly, Donald Trump is also now. Now he's uh, now he's a Floridian. He's been a New Yorker his whole life. 
Yeah. He's a staple of New York City, and now he's a Floridian because the people in his own city can't stand the guy. That must be fun. Also, yeah. he can't go back to New York State because he's facing so many charges for state crimes. He's a strange bird, man. I, I saw a picture of him on Twitter with, uh, what's it, McCarthy or whatever, and um, he looks, he, he was in this sort of very kind of ornate kind of gold gilded room in Mar-a-Lago and it was like like a like an oligarch you know like a wannabe oligarch yeah yeah Sam Harris called it bath party chic yeah <laughs> he probably yeah so at any rate um well Rio I always enjoy having you on the show and uh look forward to our next conversation for anybody who's watching live, don't forget to like and share so that more people can discover this convo. And Rio, I think you're gonna take the audio and put it on the Moving Forward podcast. Is that the plan? Yep, that's the plan. All right, so to go check out Rio's other thoughts on the Moving Forward podcast and uh, subscribe to it as soon as uh, you can. You'll, you'll hear a different perspective and it, I think it represents kind of the diversity of the Yang Gang that we come from all different kind of political stripes. And uh, anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? Well, if you're listening to this on the Moving Forward podcast, go subscribe to Nerds for Yang um, and uh, send Andrew Yang lots of money. Absolutely, yes. Uh, hopefully we will be talking about a Yang victory in a, in a few months uh, because the primary is in June. If he wins that primary, uh, it's very likely that he will win the general. So this isn't like some year-long battle. Like it's it's months till we might have mayor of New York City Andrew Yang. Like that would be pretty freaking cool. So with yeah, yeah. So with that, uh, I'm just gonna say goodbye, nerds. Goodbye, nerds. I <laughs> love it. In closing, I'd like to thank a, another patron. This time we're thanking Nick Rivera, who has supported us on Patreon for several months and looks like he's given us about 75 bucks so far. That's great. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, every little bit helps. Uh, as I say each episode, I don't actually pay myself anything. I'm putting all the money toward advertising the show so that we can grow our audience. So you guys are helping us reach more people with these conversations with every dollar that you give. Thank you very much, Nick. Um, and as they say, moving forward is our gumbo. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us for this great conversation with Rio and myself. Uh, it was a great privilege to be a guest co-host on uh, the Moving Forward pod. If you are interested in getting more of these conversations, because they are important to have, um, please check out movingforwardpod.com. Go ahead and subscribe and support this content because these types of conversations uh, are all too rare 